Coming to you from Podcast Detroit, it's Heard, your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. Heard is a collaboration between the Hungry Dudes, Nick Drinks, and the Detroit Optimist Society. Each week, we interview industry professionals about issues related to food, beverage, and hospitality. Please take a moment to subscribe to Heard through the Apple Podcast app, Google Play, SoundCloud, or however you subscribe to your podcasts. Write a review and let us know what you think. For additional content, including awesome videos and photos, visit HerdPodcast.com, like Herd Podcast on Facebook, and follow at Herd Podcast on Instagram. We appreciate your support and hope you enjoy this week's episode of Herd. Hello, friends, and welcome to Herd, your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. I'm Joe Hakeem, and tonight I'm joined by Jason. Hello. And representative for Dragon Mead Microbrewery in Warren, Michigan, Sam Zopa. Hi. Thanks for joining us, Sam. Welcome. Thanks for having me. All right. So this month, uh, we're going to talk a lot about beer. Um, I'm and excited. And we're starting <laughs> with every month. Dragon. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we drink it all the time. Um, but uh, last month, we talked about bourbon. Now we're going to lead into some beer discussion and ultimately end up at the Detroit Beer Festival in Eastern Market. Just to be clear, I do not drink beer all the time. So uh, much like the wine month, this is going to be a great learning experience for me. Awesome. That's great. I've been uh, in the spirits, um, primarily in the spirits, but I'm super excited to learn some more this this yeah, month. And we had uh, Long Road Distillers on uh, last month, a few weeks ago, and um, uh, Kyle brought um, – Beer City whiskey in? Oh, have you had Beer City whiskey? I have not. Um, so basically that was a whiskey that is distilled with uh, beer mash. Is that the – Yes. That, okay. So uh, one of them was uh, um, an IPA whiskey. And it, I swear it tastes just like an IPA and it, it's it's a really It was awesome. a really interesting project. All of the whiskeys start off as a, essentially like a brewer's mash with just the, the grain, water, and yeast. And then it gets distilled obviously but – um, so that was a really interesting project and a way for them to collaborate with some of the uh, some of their partners oh, in the be beer fun. industry. So yeah, yeah, have them call us up. Oh, I'm trying to acquire idea. the taste for whiskey. Yeah. So I'm I'm starting with good stuff, so it's very smooth, and then getting cocktails and trying to really acquire the taste. Yeah, don't don't go down to bad stuff ever because you'll be really <laughs> you'll be sorely disappointed. On my feather bowling league, <laughs> wild turkey is our penalty shot. Oh, and it really is a penalty. Yeah, I mean, it's not terrible. Yeah, wild turkey, warm. It's, wild a, it's not a bad penalty. <laughs> I wouldn't be too mad about that. <laughs> okay, Sam. So, uh, tell us a little bit about Dragon Mead. My my uh, memory uh, of Dragon Mead. My first memory uh, it was as one of the first, um, one of the first craft breweries in the area. Right? Yeah, we're the fifth licensed microbrewery with a distributing license in Michigan. So, when did you guys open? 97, we were established. The tap room was about 98, and it was a small sitting area where they had the taps, and they just planned on being a brewery for establishments to come in and try their beer, sample it, and sell it at their store or their bar. Then then the tap room became a hit, so they quickly made it an actual brew pub, and 20 years later, still going, so distributing all over the state. Let's talk about the location because the location is uh, – I mean I, I remember when I first went there years ago that uh, finding the place was um, uh, tricky. Yes. Um, so you guys <laughs> Especially are Especially before GPS. Yeah. So you guys are on the service drive, right? Yes. Of uh, 696 um, yep. in between Grossbeck and – Well, and Bunnert. And Bunnert. Our okay. Grossbeck and Chainer, if you don't know Bunnert, is between the two um, right going east on 11 Mile – on the south side of it. You can't go to the north side. It's the freeway. And they chose that location because it is right by multiple freeways. And for distribution, that's a great location. But for a pub, it's not so much. So kind of was a diamond in the rough. We're, kind of, we're on the outskirts of Warren. Not a lot of people know about Warren. It's one of the largest cities in Michigan. And we have all the jobs there. But um, not not very many establishments that are really known. So before GPS, it was hard to find. And if you miss it, you have to do this big turnaround. It's not easy to see. It's in this industrial strip. So uh, it's definitely a destination spot. You got to you gotta want it. 
<laughs> at what point did they realize that uh, the distribution only thing wasn't going to, to work? That people were um, that excited about the beer? Yeah, immediately. Immediately, the beer's so good, and it's sorry it hasn't changed since the owners came up with the initial recipes. But they've had the same brewer the entire time, Eric Harms. He is. Um, Fred Harms' son, he's a pastor at one of the local church, and the owners went there, so they knew him from there. And right out of college, Eric started working at Dragon Meat and has been there ever since. That's kind of unheard of in brewery terms, that um, a brought-on brewer stays the entire life of the brewery. And, and how much um, – I, I noticed, I looked at the beer list before we started, and um, – which you can find at dragonmead.com, yes? Yes. Um, that that uh, The beers look like they haven't changed much. Like the recipes are pretty tried and true. Yeah, they really are. We are known for brewing very true to style, so you can't really change that. <laughs> we have a, a wide variety, though. We have 45 taps on at the brewery, and that's all of our beer. We, we make craft soda and wines and meads we are not dragon meadless we do make mead we just don't really distribute it because it's so true to style it's very expensive to make and um distribution would make it a huge price so there's not some places are willing to shell that out if you want a really true to style mead but it sells really nicely in the tap room and that's where you can find at least five at a time sometimes they're on tap sometimes we put the wine on tap and you keep saying true to style. What does that mean to, to Dragon Mead? So beer, when it was created, it, there were certain recipes that were fouled and made at the beginning of its life. So we go true to those styles. Like these three beers I brought today are all German style. So we import the ingredients from Germany. And true to style German beers have four ingredients in them. So we just do the German hops, German malts and grains and German yeast and then warm water is really nice. <laughs> and so um, let, let's talk about the beer we're drinking right now. So th- this beer is called To Hellis and Bach. So like <laughs> To Hell and Back. <laughs> it's a Hellis style, which is sort of like a Maybach style, which is a, um, a May beer. This is going into the fall beer. So it's a lager, one of our only lagers since they take so much longer to make. It's um, more lucrative to make more ales and we're able to turn them over so much quicker where lagers take about three months because it's a lower fermenting temperature so they need more time and how long does an ale take about two weeks for us some take about three our scottish ale takes about three to four because of the scottish yeast takes a little bit longer sometimes they go a little longer but our system is spot on. Um, we use something we made up called Dragon Data, and it helps us really make everything precise every time since we do make so much of our core beers now. They've got to be very accurate every time. How many countries do you import from or work with altogether to put up? Um, about these, 11, these pretty much all European, a lot of German, Belgian, um, Scottish, so from the UK. Um, we make some Russian beers and yeah, we just want them to be as true as they can. If you were to go over there, the owners traveled a lot over to Europe together and on their own. And that's how they realized they needed something 20 years ago to drink over here. That was comparable to over there. So they started making it themselves. It started by them buying Earl, one of the owners, a home brewing kit for his birthday. And, Earl's son-in-law is Bill. He's one of the other owners. And then Larry Channel, we lost last year. He passed away of a heart attack. So, is the home brew- so that's still a really active community. A part of what you do is cultivate that home brew. Yes, it uh, is community. Mm-hmm. The brewers themselves um, do a lot of education going to it and teaching people we give tours when they come in the two remaining owners Larry gave the best tours so anybody who was lucky enough to get one from him was that was a a great thing he used to do but uh, Bill and Earl give tours still you can call and book that with the pub manager or email us and we can get that going 
Um, they love doing it. We just got to schedule it on a time that works for them. Bill does still work at Chrysler, so he's a very busy man doing both. Yeah. So, so, so you, you've hit your look twenty year anniversary. Yes, right? this year. So, um, how has the brewery changed in terms of size? Uh, like, I, I remember back. I mean, back then, uh, it, it seemed small yeah comparatively very small it was really just the bar area so that's maybe 15 seats and then it expanded once more to having maybe about 10 more tables and then taking over the rest of the building and adding even more so there's about 24 tables now and the bar still and some extra seating and the brew house expanded as well we were running a three barrel system for about 17 years that um, was how we kept up with the variety they liked to do, but there wasn't ever enough product where they were brewing final, you know, multiple times a day, final absolution, our flagship beer, just to keep up with the demand. So they realized they had to upgrade. But then that stopped production a little bit for a couple of years. So we kind of fell off track. They never had my position out before. So they quickly realized that they, with, the boom of breweries that all had representatives out there. They needed it. So it was well overdue for them to hire someone and it's helped tremendously. It it doesn't even matter that it's me. I just show up in a dragon meat shirt and people are excited. (laughs) They're like, there's somebody from dragon meat now. So I used to have to find work and now it's finding me. (laughs) That's great. So it is great. We're all over the state. Um, So let's talk about final absolution for a minute. Um, Back, back uh, I mean, you guys have been brewing that one since the beginning as well, right? Yes. And it is a... Uh, Belgian about, triple. Okay. And it's about 10%. It is 10%. Um, it always surprises me when I go to beer bars and they serve <laughs> it in like a imperial pint, like a 20-ounce yeah. pint glass. Like it, it, so. We've had places take it off because it was on their happy hour in their big glasses and people were just getting sloppy or couldn't order more than one it's a strong beer but it's so smooth that it goes down really easy that's i don't know when i'm drinking old granddad 114 proof like explain (laughs) how many beers at 10 percent does it take to get sloppy at that point three is usually the magic number wait Mm -hmm. of of, a final absolution yeah or 10 ounces really yeah i was gonna say a pint of <laughs> final like two pints yeah what would kind of knock you on your ass i think oh. yeah um, whenever people try to order a third i ask them to wait a little bit because <laughs> it takes a bit to hit you it's deceiving and i hear lots of stories about it's people's first craft beer experience and they didn't realize nobody's ever really talk down about it but they're like i always remember or don't really remember my first final absolution (laughs) experience so and i i know exactly how it is i'm at festivals and sometimes i can't get away so you gotta test the product you know and (laughs) make sure it's good but that one kind of put us on the map back in 2006 when it won best belgian triple in the world at the world beer cup when it was up against belgium so that was a really big deal and it's won countless awards since and some before but that one really put it out there and that is why we had to upgrade our system in about 2015. We were actually a nano brewery, and then because we weren't producing enough barrels, and don't ask the numbers, I don't know them, <laughs> but uh, we now produce enough that we're actually a microbrewery, and uh, we have a 20-barrel system. So they're running maybe three batches a day of final on that. That's Final is our number one beer by far. Is compete our competitions, whether national, global, or whatever s- scope that they might be? Is that something that you all seek out a lot? We were talking to the guys from Long Road last time about how they uh, enter their spirits and competitions. I'm wondering how the what the beer um, the beer side of that looks like. Yeah, it was always prestigious to win those awards. Um, we've kind of not entered in as many. Because, like you said, we do just keep to our, our strong beers and true to style. So it's like, how many are we going to list under this? You know, after a while, it's like, oh, that doesn't have a metal under it. In a little while, we might enter it. But a lot of the competitions 
costs money to do. So we're trying to just focus more on the tap room and um, more recipes and trying to keep up with the new stuff out there because we do have a lot of the same because it's so good. We don't want to get rid of it, but now we're rotating in more um, specialties like our Dragon Days. Our hemp ale is back. It was gone for about five years, um, and it's a roasted hemp seed, so it's very interesting. And we're doing some sours now. Um, we're calling them Dragonade, red and blue. We've got a blueberry and a cherry. Delicious. Um, are they are they kettle sours? Yes, we did. We they're open kettle sours. We have a area designated just for it, so they don't infect anything else. And we have um, lines just for those. So explain what the, what that means, like the. Well, I don't know all the technical terms, but with you have to infect the beer to make it sour. So uh, we, I believe it's lactobacillus that we use in our sours. So um, Jason is one of our brewers that came up with those recipes, and they're new. So I don't even know a whole lot about them. This is one of the first batches that came out. We also did a Berliner Weiss a session sour so those don't take as long and then we did these because they do take longer to get to that ferment state so we're we're experimenting now but the ones that we've made so far have come out really nice so did you guys start uh with the sours given their like popularity right now Mm -hmm. because people were asking for them or because a lot of people were asking for them out in the market at the tap room and um yeah, we did think it was time to start doing some new stuff. So we've been rotating in a few different new beers. Um, so with the 45, 45 mm-hmm. taps you have, um, of the beers on tap, how many of those are in distribution? Well, almost all of them could be um, if it's a special order. But that's where my job is getting out of control because there's so many special orders now. But um, the Final Absolution, the Apricot Wheat, which is called Castle Bright, the Under the Kilt, it's a Scottish Wee Heavy. Our Irish Amber is Eric the Red. So those four are the core ones. We also have Sin Eater, which is a Dark Belgian Triple. And it does really well in the tap room all year. But that one is more popular in the winter, like Castle Bright, the apricot wheat is more popular in the summer. So uh, we have more on draft available than we do bottle. But those ones that I just named are also available in bottle. And then every year we have seasonals like our Oktoberfest, which is here as well. And Armageddon is our anniversary ale. It's uh, our Grand crew, which just means best of for a brewery. Ours is a Belgian quad. That's going to be at the fest uh no that one's not going to be at the festival <laughs> sorry it's at the brewery right now though what so do you guys bring special beers to the uh to the detroit beer fest yes um this fall fest we're bringing a bunch of our collaboration beers for our 20th anniversary we've made that kind of a thing to brew with our friends in april we did um, a worn beer fest with coonan brewery and Falling Down Brewery, Sherwood, Blake's Cider, Brooks Brewery out of Shelby Township, um, Eastern Market Brewery, which I believe is now open. They weren't open when we brewed with them, but and Brown Iron Brewery out of uh, Washington. So, uh, Washington, lots, Michigan. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, all Michigan breweries and local. For that one, we just chose Macomb Breweries. So pretty much all of the I'm sorry if I missed any but I'm pretty sure all of the Macomb breweries were with us at that and that was pretty successful so everybody was asking when our next festival was so we're doing the Oktoberfest this Saturday at Helmich Park and then we will be at Easter Market and that's where we're going to bring a lot of the collabs that we've done so Helmich Park is in Warren yes um, and you're teaming that event is to team up with uh, Coonan and Falling Down yes um, which are also Warren breweries Um, why do you think uh, Coonan and you guys opened around the same time yeah they were just a few years behind us Um, and Falling Down is more recent but why do you think Warren has been such a uh, a hotbed for beer and and like really well known like you guys and Coonan are known nationally yeah it's crazy that Two of the most popular breweries in Michigan, sorry, three, Falling Down is becoming its own um, in Michigan are in Warren. That's amazing. Um, and it is because of the size of Warren. Warren's really big. We have a really high population. A lot of jobs are there. Uh, GM, 
the GM guys, they like to drink beer. I won't I won't give away what they call Coonan, but uh, they, they go there after work a lot and um, TACOM as well. So um, the tank arsenal, lots of workers come and drink at, in Warren. And same for going to Falling Down is right by the racetrack. Um, we're right by freeways. <laughs> there's not as many things to come after, but there's a strip of jobs near us and we thank all those guys for coming in all the time and you, you guys have a uh a food menu a food menu too right? yes at dragon me we do um a local barbecue joint lazy bones made a special menu for us we have a small kitchen so they cook there anything more that they need they get from lazy bones it's some of their um great barbecue stuff but they've made a twist they call it dragon bones and it's really good <laughs> Uh, and so as um, as you guys have evolved and um, beer has become more popular, um, what have you seen with the addition of all the competition that's happening? What have you noticed? Well, just that you have to make really good beer to survive. I mean, we're not huge. We're not glamorous. Um, our festival sites aren't as big as some others. New Holland has way more dragons than we do. For the, But we thank them for having dragon's milk because it sends a lot of people to our table asking for that. But then they settle for <laughs> our stuff and are really happy as well. So we're all friendly, at least. I really like all of the other brewery reps that I see at all these festivals. Festival season is about 13 months long, and we see each other out on the road all the time, and we're all buddies. You know, it's not really competition. It's nice to not go in trying to steal somebody's handle, but just pitch what you have. And I'm lucky that my bosses and everybody at Dragon Me just are happy that we're a team and that we're out there and doing something that nobody's really pressuring me. I just get to go around and share really good beer with people and hopefully they like it. And a lot of times they do and they do events with us or put us on tap and everybody can always ask for what they want and word of mouth is really the best. So I we notice that we don't have a patio, so we're really busy on really hot, sticky summer days and cold winter nights. Um, so sometimes we notice a slow period in the pub with all the new stuff available. But we're doing game nights, and everything's really picked up. And there's less shelf space. There's less less cooler space at stores. So that's definitely you know in our our thoughts but we're okay (laughs) have you have you noticed a increase or a decrease in like bottle sales at stores actually an increase um and it was probably due to releasing castle bright and into bottles that's our apricot wheat and again everybody's looking for the newest thing so just having something new was nice and eater blew up when we put it into bottles but there was a long period of time where you could people thought we only made vinyl absolution so um, it's nice that we can produce more to get out there. So it's definitely up because we're ma- we're able to make more. We have my position. I go around the whole state and bring beer to stores and work with our distributors and get people to try it. And we also have Jennifer Locker. She's our pub manager. She does everything for the place, especially after Larry's passing. She's really stepped up and she does a lot of the repping as well. And um, Spencer Channel, one of our brewers, can help whenever he. But now we're needing more beer, so he's really important in the brew house. So we're just a small but hardworking team there, and we all get around the whole state and sell it. So, are you do you only distribute inside of Michigan? Yes. Is there any plan to go outside? Yes, we're working on that now. We're talking to distributors in Tennessee and Wisconsin and Ohio. But Michigan will always be our our main goal. But going into 2018, we're thinking we might be out of state. And why did you pick uh, Tennessee? And we have connections in the states or areas that they picked. Um, Some of sometimes distributors are out of state as well. So I'm not sure who it who we're working with, but um, they we might already have distributor in state that are affiliated out of state, so it's just an easier sell to them and 
or booming beer areas like Tennessee is booming right now in craft beer. They didn't really have it. It's like a it's like waves over the country. You see it happening mm-hmm. like it really blew up in Michigan. It started in California or Boston, you know, and it w- goes around. And I guess it's Tennessee now. Why? What's happening uh, in Tennessee? <laughs> yeah. They're just figuring it out, I guess. Oh. You know, okay. we have really great breweries in Michigan and now Tennessee is starting to open them. I don't know why it didn't hit hmm. before, but you know the Northerners started it. Uh, not really. I don't know. But <laughs> do you have bourbon barrel or whiskey barrel aged? We beer? are aging stuff currently, and we have ten year Mayor Pingree cool. bourbon barrels from Valentine. Yeah. And we have our under the kilt we heavy in it right now, and we also acquired some whiskey barrels from Traverse City Whiskey Company, and. They're, we're aging. I believe the under the kilt is the one we do the most in bourbon barrels because of its flavor profile. It's a really rich, malty Scottish ale, and it's only seven and a half percent to start. It only comes out to seven point eight after aging it, but it just tastes so good in those barrels. Because we tried doing our Russian Imperial or our dark Belgian Triple, and the beer overpowered the the mm. flavor of the barrels. So, so what do you do with those experimental casks? Those will be on draft. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. We bottled one batch. This next batch, will, we're hoping to acquire more barrels more often so we can continuously have it. Because that was another boom this year. It was just nobody wanted anything that wasn't barrel aged. So. Mm. And we like doing that. It's just barrels are expensive and they take up space and a lot, a long time of space. The first run is at least three months. And the mm. second run, you would have to do at least six months to wow. soak out the flavors from the barrel. So. And they're big. <laughs> do, do you guys have release parties then? Like when, when yes. a barrel aged beer mm-hmm. is released? And it's all on Facebook, those type of things. Uh, we have Instagram and Twitter. And in the tap room is really where you'll hear about most of the specials. But we really try to get it out on social media. We are a small place, so we do hit capacity sometimes. But uh, we always try to make them all day events. So you can filter in and out and we can... Have For it. people that haven't been there, is that also serve as retail, the tap room itself? Can you get take growlers or bottles yeah, from there? Yeah, you okay. can take growlers and bottles. We don't bottle everything, and you can't get everything on draft in a growler, but we have a list because since we do the three-barrel system, sometimes we do very small batches, so there's just not enough to do growlers of some stuff. But there's typically 15 at least on the list that you can get in growler. And then bottles, there's usually 4 to 10 we make meat and wine. Sometimes those are available to go in bottles, but we don't make as much of that because meat is very expensive to make, and that also takes over nine months. So that's space and time, too. Uh, so you re- referred to the hemp ale yes, before. Yes, Dragon and, Days. And you said that was um, – it's been five years since you brewed that? Yes. So are there other beers like that that have been on the shelf like uh, – not in production for years and years that you can see coming back or is it, is it a, a demand issue or is it just because you wanted to make a hemp beer again? Um, sometimes we just retire beers, the hemp ale, the ingredients, that's just another extra ingredient to get kind of thing. Um, I just probably got overlooked for a little while. You know, they had a lot going on and I didn't even know about it until it came back, but there's, and I have um, I have the inventory tally list every week, and it has all of our beers on it, whether we have it or not. And then there's numbers next to them, and because they're not in alphabetical order, they're in order of how the recipe, like the first recipe, second. So it's I'm sure the brewers have a really easy time looking for the number of the beer. They're like, oh, final absolution number one, which I don't think it actually is a number one, but um, like Wench Wench's water, it's um um. I don't even uh, mild beer. Okay. It's a real light beer. Uh-huh. I, I've never seen that at the brewery. And I grew up in Warren, so I have drank there for, I, I won't say how, how long now, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, a long time. And there's beers that I've never seen even going there. So, yes, I do think we're going to retire some beers and bring back other ones. And just keep doing that because we're coming up with more and more recipes now. And we have over 80. And when 
we like to make the most out of the yeast that we can. So that's why you'll see a lot of German styles at once because we do use specific yeast for specific beers. We're not going to make a, an English beer with our German yeast. So we just make a bunch of German beers at a time and so on so forth with that. So that's why sometimes the menu will be heavy with Belgian or so on. So I'm opening the uh, yes. Oktoberfest beer. Um, Let's talk about Oktoberfest for a second. So we talk about the event at Hamlich Park that's coming up on Saturday. Yes. yes. Okay. So Oktoberfest is a German holiday, but it's not just one day, right? Correct. So it takes place over the course of three weeks? I believe that's the length of it. Yep. Over – it does start in September, so – you will be seeing a lot of Oktoberfest beers out early. They, they're coming out earlier and earlier every year, but we stick to the traditional of keeping it in September. I still have some of my lager. This is also a lager, so it takes a little bit longer to make. One of our seasonals, we do about seven seasonals throughout the year. And this one's just so smooth. It's 6%. Very malty, again, with the four German ingredients. Um, so <laughs> I, w- I want to talk about a couple things. You mentioned the Oktoberfest beers coming out earlier and earlier. Um, pumpkin beers come out earlier and earlier yeah. now. Um, Christmas it's like Black be- Friday. It's now before Thanksgiving. Yeah. yeah. It's, and, and so, and that's so the beer game. And we'll see Christmas beers probably in a week or two, right? right? <laughs> um, why? Uh, it's just about getting them out there first. If people see them first, they're going to start buying them. And then once they start buying one brand, they're going to stick to it for the season. So us little guys, we just stick to the right season. A lot of a lot of times our seasonals don't get picked up by the distributors because they have much bigger brands that had it out months before us. And our pumpkin ale is true to style. So we're going to use real pumpkin puree we want for the right season. It's not coming out until this week. And that's even early. We didn't. The brewers don't like to push things that aren't meant to be, and we don't really need to. There's so many seasonals out there that our pub really sells it enough that we don't worry too much about distribution with those. When you when you said uh, that people, if something's first to market and people buy, let's say whatever pumpkin beer they buy, and you said they buy the same beer all season, is that? Do you guys find that as true? Like people are that loyal to a brand? I feel like it's half and half nowadays because there are so many people who like to just get the mixed six pack so they can try a bunch. And that's a great way to do it. And that's also another reason why there's already so many out there that it's hard to get on the shelves. And But there are people who only go to certain stores and if they don't have a wide variety yes they're going to stick with the big one that they can get real cheap real often sometimes (laughs) we are lucky that there's the the craft beer geeks out there that we love and that support us still all the michigan breweries really appreciate our our fans do do people like expect the pumpkin beer like if you guys just decided we're not going to make a pumpkin beer this year would anybody be upset by that i'm sure there would be some but not a ton our pumpkin beer is really nice too it's very subtle so it's not overly pumpkin if you are coming in looking for something that like really tastes like pumpkin pie that's not ours it's a real pumpkin it's subtle it's just a uh accent flavor kind of it's, there's no pumpkin extract to make it it's not fake and it's just really smooth and i really like that beer so so let's go back to the um Oktoberfest yes. beer um so with, with this party, you, you'll you'll have your Oktoberfest beer at at uh, how much park? Uh, Kudin will have theirs. Yes. Uh, Falling down will have their version. They aren't bringing one since oh. there's already two, and they don't make one. I don't think. Okay. So they're bringing their Ninja Chicken, okay. which is a pale ale and a cream ale, and mm. their cider. And then Kunin is bringing their Oktoberfest. Their Fluffer, which is a Session IPA and Grapefruit wet Wit. It's a ruby red Grapefruit Wit. And then we're bringing the Oktoberfest, which you're trying now. The Tehelis and Bach, which you just tried. And then also the Earl Spitz Stout. It's an English stout. And then Corey, a brewer from Falling Down, came over and brewed with Spencer 
our brewer at Dragon Mead. So they made a Crystal Weiss, which is a filtered Hefeweizen, another German-style wheat beer. So that will be there. And we have our Dark Heathen, which is a triple Bach with Kunin. That's 13%, very dark, sweet, rich. That's in bottles. It's $9 a bottle, and there's only a couple cases of it. So it's first come, first serve. With that, but we shouldn't run out of draft beer, or maybe we will. Hopefully, hopefully, <laughs> we'll see. I'm on the lookout it's, for these, it's noon uh, to nine, so there, there's some drinking to be done. I'm on the lookout for these high ABV beers. I need to try. Yeah, we tried like to that. pick some lower ones for this festival because it is a a family festival. That definitely well. makes sense. <laughs> but as a non beer drinker, typically. I'm super curious about this. Yeah, Their come ABV to the brewery. Coonan yeah. does, uh, at least in my experience, a lot of high. They yes. have done high alcohol beers in the past. Um, they they did one. Uh, maybe they still do it. The, the raspberry Eisbach. Yes, and that was like twenty some percent. It gets about eighteen percent. Yeah, okay. um, it's I, very thick. And I had a uh, worldwide stout from Dogfish Head out of uh, Delaware, right? Mm-hmm. Dogfish, and that was seventeen and a half. Um, the, the strong beer uh, phenomenon, I think, is like it comes and goes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's one of those things where like if you're gonna drink a seventeen and a half percent beer, which is stronger than wine, even, um, you can only have one, right? I, I mean, and um, it's just it's like I I'm trying to make this connection between like the bourbon drinking bourbon, right, or whiskey, but particularly bourbon, and maybe we can draw some parallels there because, uh, you know, barrel proof bourbon is a uh, high very high proof bourbon that is very trending right now, um, so you could get like you know, the distillers will just pick barrels and release them. It could be anywhere from 107 to 144 proof. There's one of the bottles in the Buffalo Trace Antique Collection this year. The George he said was 144 proof. And so you've got these guys in the bourbon community who, you know, it's like a point of pride to be able to drink this stuff. And it's like, you know, 140 proof is hazardous material. You can't even take it on an airplane. Oh and they, really? And these distillers, yes. So you've got these bottles that uh, anything over 140 proof in the bourbon world, they, they're called hazmat, hazardous material bottles. But And, um, and I've got one at home with George C. Stagg. And so, I mean, but even say like a daily drinker like Wild Turkey, uh, uh, Rare Reed is coming at 116, Old Granddad 114. Um, I had, a, just, I had a Colonel Taylor yesterday uh, at Zingerman's Roadhouse that was 129. Cool, yeah. So that's that's one of their barrel proofs. They've had a few. They've had seven batches at this point, I believe, and they all range from 127 to 135. Each batch is different that they release, but essentially it's the same concept of this, like, higher proof, you know, barrel whiskey. And so I'm just curious uh, to seek some of those out and just, you know, see what the parallels are because – it's hard as a person that drinks barrel proof whiskey to be like, you can only drink one beer. Like I need to do, I need that experience in my life. I need to have that. Uh, yeah, and, and to, to be clear, like if you're drinking barrel proof whiskey, yeah. or, you know, uh, over the course of an evening, uh, one or two uh, barrel aged beers probably aren't going to affect you the same way. Um, yeah, and um, not necessarily barrel aged beers, but if there's seventeen or twenty percent, oh, like right. you're saying, sure. and, and most most of these high ABV beers are aged in some way, right? The, yeah, that's what you're seeing a lot of, and they do taste boozy. You know, they hmm. taste like the barrels that they're in. Um, ours don't because we don't really want them to. We still want you to taste the beer because it's so good. And then the barrel just adds something really nice to it. And it's got that hint of the bourbon to it. So look out for those are coming out soon. Uh, The next batch should be out at the end of next month, middle of next month. So keep a lookout for those nice winter beers at the tap room. And so this kind of, uh, move towards higher ABV beers like you guys have final absolution of course um did you guys ever jump on that wagon of like producing high gravity no not really and it's it was surprising to them that final absolution is their flagship beer a 10% belgian triple but there aren't many like it that are made in michigan so our um we say the closest comparison is pretty much the fin de man which is you know, from Belgium. So that, that's 
Canada. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. It's okay. <laughs> but still, um, and the um, Chimay's too are yep. very similar with our um, anniversary ale to the Armageddon. That's eleven percent, and Sin Eater is eleven percent, but. They're not too boozy. They're very smooth, so they're easy to drink. A lot of these really strong beers, you can't really have more than one just for the sake of your mouth feel, um, in my opinion. So it's nice to have smooth ones that maybe you can have a couple because they're easier to go down, but they still hit you like the the big barrel-aged No, ones. I totally get it. That's why I just, I'm so curious about this because, believe me, it's the same way. You're drinking this George C. Stag, it's 144 proof, and like, you can literally feel it's working its way down your esophagus in a not to me pleasurable experience. Yeah. And that's some people, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like who can drink the highest proof stuff. But to me, I, and oftentimes you want to have something that's also enjoyable to drink, right? Not just, just to prove that you can. That's my opinion. I yeah. do like to try them. I like that I get to go to all these festivals and samplings and get to try a little bit of them. But I do prefer something that I can just pound back. I like to drink while I eat, too. Beer and food to me are really important. So um, unless I'm eating ice cream, I don't really want the barrel-aged stuff, but do sometimes you do I dinner? do. Do you do uh, beer dinners yes, at Dragon Meat as well? lots of them. Not really at Dragon Meat, which we do want to do one with Lazy Bones there. Where we've been talking about that, but I go all over the state and do beer dinners. I've got one coming up on uh, in Petoskey next month, um, October nineteenth, and I just did one in Kalamazoo. Which what over. restaurant in Petoskey? City Park okay. Grill. Yeah, that's what it's a dual feature with Mountain Town. So each course will have one of both of our beers, and we have a collab with them as well. The brewers from Mountain Town came and brewed with Eric Harms and uh, called it Mountain Mead. It's beer, uh, Session IPA, about 4.5%. Real nice. Did you guys ever get into the double IPA, Grace? Not really. Our Crown Jewels is almost considered a double IPA at 8%. It's a maltier IPA. Our Jason's IPA is our most popular, and that's at 8% too. But I don't know the correct term or, or way they need to be brewed to actually be considered double IPAs because there are some double IPAs at 8%, um, but ours are not considered doubles. I don't recall ever seeing one on the list either that we've done. What about this whole uh, hazy IPA? We did make one with Brooks Brewery out of uh-huh. Shelby Township. Uh, we just called it B&D New England IPA because that's something that Brooks specializes in is IPAs and newer styles. They're two years now. They just had their anniversary. So they're doing all the new stuff, and he's got great hop contracts and hops that he brought over to brew with Eric, who's never done one because it's not so much a traditional style that he's used to making the New England IPAs. So um, Carrie Brooks came over and brewed, and it came out really nice. And it is—it's a craze right now. I don't know if it'll last. I don't know how many can you have out there because there's already a ton. But um, I think it's nice for each brewery to have one. Um, restaurants and stuff are are having more and more. They're easy drinking because I am not super into really bitter IPAs, and they're juicy. You know, they're they're sweeter. So I noticed that I. I like hop flavors, just not so much bitter hops. So these use the New England Cascade, I believe. It's the hops that they use uh-huh. most in that. Or Mosaic, I believe it is. So um, those are just really juicy, um, easy-drinking beers. Yeah, we're going to talk to uh, Travis from Old Nation in a couple weeks. Uh-huh, and yep, um, M43 uh, is probably, I read, made them one of the like the fifth largest brewer in the state. I bet, Just like based right off of that away. one beer, yeah. um, M forty three is like the quintessential hazy IPA, like that's brewed in Michigan, mm-hmm. I think. Um, and it's it's interesting to me because you you mentioned you guys are brewing a kettle sour now, um, this this New England IPA st- this style too. Um, were there other fa- there had to have been other fads that that you guys have like dipped your toes in a little bit, right? Well, the fruit beers, and but we won't use fake fruit we really um try to use purees and juices if not 
actual fruit in them. So um, it's still a nice beer. We want them. You're not really going to get anything that tastes like a Jolly Rancher from Dragon Mead. Um, we're doing a special beer that um, a, a former co-worker from Coonan and I, Mike Montgomery, we came up with a, we called it Rocks in the Rye. It's a rye flavored or a rye beer flavored like rock, rock and rye, the oh, Detroit soda. So that will be, we're going to brew that for this festival, Easter Market. So the Detroit Festival, where Michael and I, we brewed it at Coonan and won a competition. So we brewed it again and had our own booth at the Detroit Beer Festival. This was years ago. And I still have people who ask me about this beer. It tastes like rock and rye. So it's one of those soda pop pop beers, but um, it's just still a nice, smooth rye beer anyway. And it came out to being about 7.5%. And um, it's fun because at Eastern Market, they bring Fago. Because they're there and people were trying the beer with the pop, can of pop in their hand and like, oh, it's really spot on. And that's a hard flavor to do. So it took a, a lot of trial runs to make that one. But we're bringing it back for Easter Market. So um, they're going to come over to Dragon Mead and brew with us soon for that. Okay. So that's like the most off the wall for us. Um, we did do a coffee beer that was kind of a... A big thing, um, but we use Chisano coffee from Ferndale, uh-huh. so and um, used our uh, chocolate stout base. So that was you know unique for us. We were doing we called them X taps. We were just trying something new on a on the three barrel batch and put it out and see how it did. And like experimental, you yeah. Mean? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Is that something you do on a regular basis, or is that something? Well, that- this yeah, we're just trying every so often to do something new. Like uh, the fruit beers were really popular, so we made a. We have a Red Wing raspberry is our raspberry wheat, and Red Wing is a type of raspberry, so it kind of was nice to fit in with the the hockey. And now we have a a raspberry wit, so it's a lighter wheat beer, but it's still raspberry flavor. So. We're just trying to keep up with the trends of what people are, are doing. Our heritage cider is really popular too at the brewery. The gluten free thing um, is hard for us because you usually can't get those without reverse osmosis, and it really changes the flavor of the beer. And it ta- it's expensive, and it takes a long time. So if you can't, if you don't have a big system to do the reverse osmosis, uh, you have to cook out the alcohol so you can't it's hard to for little breweries to make a gluten-free beer so we have the ciders and meads to try to keep up with that but we can't get on to that is there that big of a demand for that no but it, it was Thank you <laughs> remember years yeah. ago when you kept seeing them on the shelves i was and we had people we do have people quite often asking do you have anything gluten-free nobody's mad when the the brewery says no, but we do have the cider and the mead, so we have something. I, I, from a customer service standpoint, it's the same thing to me. The, going into a brewery and expecting a gluten free beer is very similar to going to a barbecue place and expecting <laughs> vegan food. Yeah, I, I I understand I understand why you you as the brewery would like to have a gluten free option. Or people coming into our, to our bakery and asking for gluten-free stuff. Like, we literally throw flour around. Like, there's no way in hell yeah, we can do gluten-free. Really <laughs> and so, like, at what point is it there enough demand to say, okay, we're going to do something gluten-free? And I think that's why there's only a handful of, you know, mass-produced gluten beers out there because you have to only do that to even make one drinkable. And there isn't that much of a demand for it, so... There's not that many out there. Uh, so, okay. So let's bring this back to Oktoberfest because yes. I want to talk about these like kind of um, holidays that occur in other countries uh, but are brought over here because of alcohol. <laughs> um, so the, what is actually – and I, I, maybe you don't know the answer to this. What is actually being celebrated during Oktoberfest? I do not know the answer. Okay. Uh, and so it's that, always just been beard in my as mind. As a celebration specialist, I don't even need a reason. I'm there, though. That well, is something we should know. Yeah. I'm sorry I don't. Well, no, I don't even know if it is because I think that's the point. Like, If you're drinking on St. Patrick's Day, you're not celebrating St. Patrick necessarily. You're just 
taking the day off of work and getting that, yeah. drunk. Right? This is the, we need a Vato here right now, and he's not here because he would have already had this Googled. But I'm sure St. Patrick <laughs> did something special him. on March 17th where... Uh, I don't know. Didn't he like get rid of all the snakes? I mean, or something? it's just a reason for dudes to get really drunk, right? Yeah, and like, for everybody to be Irish, every, right? And we also have Parade Day as and women well as... too. I'm sorry, just so what's that? <laughs> women get drunk that day too. They do. Not they do. Dudes. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, oh yeah, I wouldn't deny that. Um, so the, the Oktoberfest uh, all day party on Saturday. Right, it's on Saturday. Yes. Yeah. Um, noon to nine. Noon to nine. Saturday is uh, what's the date? Saturday. The thirtieth. Thirtieth. Um, so, are you guys gonna have food there too? Yes, we're going to have three food trucks. Okay. Chicken Shack has a food truck now. It's a newer thing. Um, Go Cheese. They do mainly grilled cheeses, and we will have the Mean Weenie, who have been into the brewery a few times recently, trying our beers to cook with them. So they're gonna have they make a special menu for their events, and they're making special food for our Oktoberfest. So it'll be German style sausages and stuff cooked with our beer and our cider. Sounds amazing. Yes, I'm really excited. Just to throw it out there, we've got the answer. Historical background. Ah. Yeah, let's. So this is Oktoberfest. The first Oktoberfest was held in the year 1810 in honor of the Bavarian Crown Prince Ludwig's marriage to Princess uh, Therese von. I'm gonna fucking butcher this. <laughs> Sachsen Hildeburghausen. Um, Hildeburghausen. Anyways, there was a marriage, and the festi- the festivities began on October 12th, 1810, and ended on October 17th. So. Um, that's quite a party. That's quite yeah. the celebration. Yes. So, uh, so like, that's remember, great. I'm not going to remember that in a couple weeks. So, so we are celebrating the marriage of an obscure royal uh, family. Yes. Okay. Um, will that come up on Saturday? Um, I will make it come <laughs> up now. <laughs> I am I'm seeing the hoist competition, the Stein hoist competition. So people will hold full steins out in front of them for as long as they can. We'll have a um, women's heat, a men's heat, and they'll win prizes. And now I'm going to mention why we are celebrating Oktoberfest. Right. Maybe I'll learn how to say it, or I'll just have my phone say it at the right time, whatever <laughs> yeah, that I totally name was. Butchered that. I <laughs> totally butchered that. So let's talk about the stein hoisting. Uh, th- th- these are heavy pieces of glass yeah right? they hold With 32 well we're gonna put water in them oh. we don't trust these people <laughs> they've been drinking <laughs> that's a lot of, that's a lot of wasted beer yeah yeah so that. it'll be full of 32 ounces of water also so that's two pounds of water though, and then the glass itself is probably i should weigh one probably about a pound so about three pounds see how long you can hold that out in front of you my coworker jennifer and her husband did it at the um the frankenmuth beer fest the world expo and uh the women's heat went first and she went and she won so he was like oh man now i really have to win and the women's heat shouldn't have gone as long as it did because the woman jennifer was against kept bending her elbow and that's really against the rule and we're like get her but it went for about three minutes so three pounds for three minutes with your arm just straight out you're not allowed to bend your elbow you're not allowed to lift it up or lean back and then the men's round went for like six minutes at least twice as long and her husband did actually win so it was really awesome to have the strong couple go but that's my only experience with how long they could go is about six minutes maybe and because he's a real buff guy and he was shaking at the end so we'll see how many people sign up for that to see how many heats we do but i'm excited for that and we're also going to have giant jenga and we'll have some face painting for the kiddos and our adults we don't judge and just some other um, family games and cornhole and bands. There's going to be a DJ at first, and then Second Chance goes on from 3 to 6, and 30 Mile Deep goes on um, from 6 to 9. These are bands? Yes. Okay. Um, so I just opened the last beer you brought with you. Dragon Slayer. Uh, this is Dragon Slayer. So let's talk about Dragon Slayer for a minute. This is our German alt-style beer. It's a... Basically, just a German red beer. It's a very nice amber color, deep ruby, and it's about 6%. Very smooth, malty. It's got a little more hop character than our Oktoberfest does, but really doesn't finish very hoppy at all. That one's 
draft only. We don't bottle this one. It's on at the tap room fairly often. We have it more around Oktoberfest season because, again, we try to make use of our our imported yeast when we have them. We don't reuse the yeast after, so we just split it up for what we can. And it's German season. <laughs> so th- these beers are, um, all three of them, more sweeter than uh, most. Is that is that typical of the German style? Of this, yeah, of these styles. You don't see very many hoppy German beers. Even their their wheat beer, Hefeweizen, has no hop character to it. Um, I can't think of many German beers that are very hoppy. Americans love hops, so some breweries will make them happier. And, but hops aren't our thing at Dragon Mead. And we have some IPAs. We have enough. We can... We can satisfy the hop drinkers. Our Jason IPA goes constantly, but um, we just like the variety and not covering up really good beer flavor with hops when it is a great thing to do for a lot of styles. But um, And hops are hard to get, so we just focus on our what we're able to get. And if we do come into a bunch of really happy Bitter hops will make something with it, but we just you work with Michigan it. hops growers. Uh... With this Mountain Town Session IPA, it was all Michigan ingredients, but unfortunately, no, we we don't. We anytime we are making an American style, we do try to source Michigan, but again, it's a lot of European styles. So, oh, so even when you when you do these European style beers, you're sourcing the hops from mm-hmm. there too. Oh, yeah, okay. so Hollowtown hops are really true. Are okay. in these beers that you tried today. Great. Um, okay, so what is your favorite uh, beer that you guys brew? Do you have one? If I had to pick one, it would be the Sin Eater, the Dark Belgian Triple. We kind of joke that it's Finals Evil Twin because it's one stronger at 11%. It's the same style, but we use all dark Belgian ingredients, so it's real rich and smooth. It's got notes of raisin and and molasses from the dark Belgian sugar candy that we import from Belgium where we use light Belgian sugar candy in final absolution. So that's where it gets its strength, color, and sweetness. This one you can't see through. It's got dark chocolate and coffee hints to it, and that's all just naturally coming out. And it's 11%, but really smooth. So I don't I don't like a lot of quantity in my belly because, I, like I said, I like to eat when I drink. So having a strong one strong beer is totally fine with me to just feel good all night. But for the lighter beers, our K2 Strawberry Blonde is really one of my favorites. It's 4.5%. And our Oktoberfest is my favorite Oktoberfest. I tried to really think of any that I like more, and I can't. It's just so smooth. And I don't like the hops. And like you said, these have the slight sweetness to them. So they're easy drinking. So the Sin Eater... I was at a beer dinner with you guys years ago, and, and I recall them telling a story about Sin Eater that it's a almost a clone of a beer from. Yes, is, is, it, is it West Westerverlin? It's a name that I never remember because it's hard to pronounce, and they're going to kill me for not knowing. <laughs> but but it's the, the beer that it's kind of modeled after is like the most sought after beer in the world, isn't it? Yeah, it's a from Belgium, and so, they went over there and tried a bunch of these styles of beer. I think I have it in my notes. So, Jason, the, the, like to talk about to bring this back to the bourbon for a second, um, and like the kind of like chasing of like Pappy Van Winkle sure. that goes on now. Um, there is this beer, uh, I think. For short, they call it Westie, and there's like three different versions of it. And you literally, and I might be uh, over exaggerating what has to happen here, but you have to, to go up a mountainside, up some stairs, and like meet with like monks, and they like hand you a, like a wooden crate of beers that have no label on them. They just have a particular bottle cap, and you can only buy them at certain times of year. It might only be once or twice a year. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's incredible. It's an incredible thing. Like w- this kind of like feat of like just actually getting a bottle of this stuff yeah that's um, amazing and so um a couple years ago ashley's uh in westland had a mm-hmm. belgian beer fest and they had a couple bottles of that stuff there and you for it was like equivalent to it would have been like uh six dollars an ounce or something like that oh, you wow. got to try <laughs> this a sip of this beer and um i mean it was good an ounce of beer is nothing like an yeah. ounce of bourbon right. is something an ounce of beer is nothing um and uh but i think 
to, to bring this back around to Dragon mm-hmm. Meat, like I think you guys modeled that beer after model Sin Eater after that beer, I think. It's very possible that it's that one because I have heard the story and Spencer Channel went over there and the owners went over to Belgium and studied and tried a bunch of this. And What makes it so highly sought after besides that amazing marketing and the exclusivity or is that part of it with the Pappy brand as you referenced before? I mean, definitely they – in my opinion, there's a little bit of manufactured scarcity there. And part of that exclusivity leads people to fear of missing out. I've got to have this product. Is there some, is it actually really that fantastic or? So uh, beer has this community online uh, present on, on apps like untapped um, on sites like beer advocate mm-hmm. and rate beer um, where these experts, um, i.e. like the people that run the site or, people that review a lot of beers um, have these like, you know, probably 10 or so, like there's a top 10 list of like the 10 best beers mm-hmm. as rated by these sites. Um, it, it was always near the top, this this one. So as a new beer drinker and then you become interested and it becomes a hobby and you start going to Beer Advocate for information, you're like, oh, shit, I need to try these 10 because these are the 10. That's the standard. Right. And, and so I think uh, – Kentucky Breakfast Stout's probably on there from Founders. Uh, oh, I'm sure. Yeah, and, and um, there might even like Two Hearted Ale, uh, which is everywhere. Yeah, that that is always near the top too, especially in the IPA style. Um, but th- this kind of like you know manufactured scarcity, like you say, you know this this kind of exclusivity, this kind of like um, desire to be part of this exclusive group of people that had has tried this. And then you then you're able to rate it, and you're like, and people like see that, and like they're like, oh shit, like you know, Jason had this beer. It's like, man, where'd you get it? And then you can tell this like story of like you know, went up a mountainside, yeah, Mount Monk. Are, the, are there do you, uh, so that's really interesting. Do you, does is there the equivalent in bourbon? We do, and at the Sugar House we do because of that exact thing. The uh, like we do a Pappy versus Weller blind tasting that we've uh, done successfully for eight or nine times in a row. Uh, the idea there is to get kind of that marking out there and try similar products, taste them blind, and see if people can r- really pick out. Yeah, one if ours match, matches up to theirs. Like yeah. when California beat out France and the white wine right. category Does way that, back when, you know, it's a big, big deal. Does that have a thing? Does that have a parallel in the beer world? Sure. Like I mean, taste? we beat out Belgium at the World Beer Cup, which sure. is blind tasting as well. And there's there's rules that these judges go by, and it has to it can't have more hop character than Belgian yeast character, and I don't know the the correct ones, but stuff like that where they're awarded points per category by these judges that just no, they only know a number for it and um, a style. And that's all they they can only judge it on what it's supposed to be. And that's why those traditional beer styles that I keep talking about are important because that's the rule book. When people are judging these beers, they have to have something to go by. And And there are places like uh, Clubhouse BFD out in Rochester Mm -hmm. that have these kind of really um, curated and extensive lists where you can get uh, at a given time, say there's like four barrel aged stouts on, right? And you can compare them at that point. They may not be four best in the world, but at a particular time, that they could be, sure. um, depending. And I would be interested to see, like, if this ever happened where you had, you know, four top-rated stouts, and then you could buy a flight and try them one right next to the other. I don't know the the amount of differences or whatever. Even this New England style. Um, right. IPA right now, M43 next to say um, like Hetty Topper, which is out of Vermont, but that's not distributed here. Yeah, I don't know. So like one of the reasons that it's important in the bourbon world and why it's important for us to do this is because the price uh, the price um, uh, differences are getting so out of whack in terms of like we do this blind tasting. You know, you're going to pay a multiple of like 10 times for like a Pappy Van Winkle or Van Winkle Lappy 12-year versus, um, you know, like a, a Weller 12 or an old Weller Antique. And yet, so my my thesis or my theory was if we taste these blind and the majority of people can't even tell them different and actually choose if all things being equal, 
they when people can constantly choose the thirty dollar bottle blind, is it worth that? You know, ten times multiple that people are paying as a premium for just the name or whatever. Not that it's not a good product, but given that the majority of people cannot get these products at retail at a store and they're forced to buy them on the secondary market. So we haven't really talked about like I know there is a secondary market in beer. Just I'm I'm aware of it. I've never really gotten into it like mm-hmm. there is for bourbon, but I know it exists because I've seen like the um not the KBS, but what's a bourbon stock, a bourbon county. Yep. I know that those trade. I've seen in the whiskey groups that some people trade uh, beer for whiskey. So I know that there is uh, an active secondary market. So, um, but again, like that to me, that's crazy because I'm also a consumer. So like if I, I want to have something that I enjoy and if I can get it cheaper and not pay attention to kind of like the marketing around it then that's going to be what I'm going to shoot for. So Yeah, I have to look at that a lot, being their salesperson at Dragon Me. We are at a slightly higher price point because of our ingredients, so we can't fit everywhere. And really, our beer should be refrigerated. If a place, if you walk into a place that's 80 degrees, I'm not going to try to sell them beer if they don't have cooler space because our beer would just spoil and nobody would know how good it tastes. And then we have to work with shelf life. Our beer is unpasteurized, so really we don't want it on the shelves for more than four to six months, sometimes a year for the stronger beers. So, And it's funny to look at like a $500 bottle of wine as you know, top-notch, but like a $30 bottle of beer is just as top notch but it's obviously a different price point and it does happen to do with the ingredients and the way stuff is made and that beer is way more perishable than wine or whiskey so uh sam let's talk uh, a little bit about where people can find dragon mead online going to our distributors websites is a good way to see what areas are carrying that can sell it and then you can always ask for it we are making a big move to get into all of the Myers and Kroger's and Targets so you can start looking for us there and um, honestly untap uh, beer menus apps are a good way because things rotate so much it's really hard to keep up of where they are on my end because once it goes out Dragon Mead store, we know what county it's probably in, but we don't know where it goes. We can ask, but that takes time for us to get the info. So it being readily available when people ask us, typically anywhere that is known for craft beer, you're going to find Dragon Mead. Uh, and so, and, and it's dragonmead.com? Yep. Dragonmead.com. And then on Facebook, Instagram, Dragon Mead Brewery. Dragon Mead Brewery on both. Yep. And we do sell it all in the tap room, too. So Awesome. Always check it out there. Well, thanks for being with us. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Have fun Saturday. We will. Yeah, come come check it out. It'll be a good time. Uh, Until next time, dine well, friends.